There are two brothers in this story. There's a younger brother and there's an older brother, and both represent a certain way of life and a certain way of living. One represents a, a version of life called self-discovery, where it's just about you, and you do what you want to do to be happy. That's the way I'm going to be fulfilled, is I'm going to provide for my needs and take care of myself. The older brother also represents a way of life, and we call that moral conformity. It's the idea that I will be happy if I do good and be good. If I act that certain way, if I live out that life that God wants for me and obey all his commandments, he's going to bless me with a good life. I'll be happy. And a lot of people fall into these two categories. I'm either going to do whatever I want to do, or I'm just going to make sure that I'm a good person, and that's all I really need in this life. If I'm good, I'll be good. But the main point of the story of the prodigal son is that both way of the brothers leads to emptiness. That just a life about serving yourself and serving your needs can lead to lostness and emptiness. But also a life of trying to be good so that God will bless you a life of I gotta do the right thing in order for God to give me the things that I need is also a way of life that can lead to, to use the language of the parable, lostness or lead to emptiness. And the reason why is because both ways of life are rooted in the same thing. And so last week we talked about how both the older brother and the younger brother, even though they seem very different, they're actually very similar. And their goals and their hopes and the way they're, what, what they want to accomplish and what they want to experience in life is really the same thing. They want to be happy. They just have two different ways of, of, of doing it. But at the end of the day, both were trying to control God. Both were kind of trying to control the father. I'm going to control you, father, says the younger brother, by demanding my way. And you got to let me do what I want to do. The older brother, on the other hand, is a lot more, lot more hidden and secretive. So I'm going to control you by doing what you want me to do, making you think that I'm, I'm, I'm a good son so that you will give me the things that I, that I want. And this is the reason why both ways of life lead to lostness or emptiness. is because they are rooted in what we call sin. And sin ultimately is replacing God with yourself. It's not about your behavior or your actions. The root cause of sin is this decision that you and I have made that I will be my own God. I will be my own king. I know what's best for me. I know what will make me happy. God, I know you've listed out this way of life. I don't want that. I know what's best for me, so I'm going to live that way. Then I'll be happy. Both ways of life are rooted in replacing God with yourself, so no wonder it can lead to a sense of lostness, or emptiness. Now, as, uh, as we introduced last week, we have the way of the younger brother, we have the way of the older brother, but what's in the story, and it's kind of hidden, it's not overtly there, is a third way, a better way. And we presented that last week. We're going to dig a little deeper into that. And that third way is what we're calling the way of trust, the way of trust. Because ultimately what it came down to was do you trust that the Father wants for you, what he wants for you is your deepest happiness. That's what we talked about last week. Do you trust that your heavenly father only wants for you your deepest, deepest happiness? If you can't trust that, then you probably won't trust God. But the case that the scriptures Jesus is making is you can trust in that. So what we're going to do today is we're going to try to understand this third way, the way of trust, and how do we begin to enter into the way of trust? Hopefully, you've been like, okay, I've been younger brother for a season of my life, or maybe that's how I've been. 
Maybe you've been like, I'm the older brother, like I'm totally older brother, I get that, I realize that, I'm trying to live that Christian American dream, right, that we talked about that, if I have money and if I go to church and I have family, then I'll be happy, but I'm realizing that, that there's something missing in that. See, we focus on these sons and the brothers because I wanted us to realize that we fall into these categories. And a lot of us may be suffering and struggling because we've chosen one of those ways to live. But to be honest, as much as maybe we can relate to that, it's not that helpful. It's not helpful for me to just say, you have a problem, you have a problem, you have a problem, you have a problem. It's not that helpful. I'm not trying to just like make people feel like, hey, you're making bad decisions in your life. What is helpful is if we learn how to step out of those ways and into the third way, the way of trust. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And we're going to talk about a couple questions that we need to ask and that Jesus answers in this story to help us move into the way of trust. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, thank you, Lord, that your love is so great, that your mercy is so wide, and that your arms welcome us no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what decisions we've made. Lord, I pray that today we may take a step in the right direction. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this moment and you'd help us to be truly aware of what you are doing this afternoon. Speak to us, challenge us, and lead us. In your name we pray, amen. So as we consider the way of trust, I think we have to consider two questions. And this is for any situation in which you need to put your trust into something or someone. And these are two very wise questions. It has to do with the person, but also has to do with you. And the two questions that I think that we need to ask is, what is the father like and what do I have to do? As I'm presenting a new way of life, who, who is who, the one who is in control of that, the central figure of that is the father, you should ask the question, okay, so this father, what is he really like? Is he someone that is trustworthy? Does he have my best interest at heart? And then the second question is, even if you trust him and they want the best for you, but if you are asked, what, 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 what is your responsibility? What is your role? If that's too much, maybe that's not something that you want to decide to do. So I think these are two wise questions to ask ourselves as we look at this story. This way of trust, what is the father like? And what do I have to do? So we're just going to talk about these two questions, and hopefully we can come to a place where we can move forward in this direction. So the first question, what is the father like? When Jesus tells this parable, there is so much that we can look at the father and extrapolate the characteristics of God. There's so much there. And, and, and I think if you just read it, things will pop up in your mind. But I just want to focus on one simple detail about the father that I think is really powerful and is really meaningful for me. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he, this is the younger son, so he returned home, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, as you look at this verse, you may wonder, I wonder which detail Chris is going to point out. Is it the running? That's a detail that a lot of preachers like to talk about, the running that the father does. Because in that day and age, these, these, these patriarchal, in this patriarchal society, the father figure, the, the head of the house, does not run. Because running indicates that the person they are running to is more important than them. But this father runs. Oh, that's, that's, that's kind of powerful, right? But that's not the detail that I want to focus on. 
Maybe it's the embrace, maybe it's the kiss. Scholars have said that the reason the father embraces him is because what the son did before when he asked to get all the stuff and he rejected his family was worthy of death. And the father ran to embrace him, not because, just because he loves him, but to protect him from the surrounding people because they would come and try to kill him because of the shame he brought into his family. That's powerful too. But that's not the detail that I want to focus on. I want to focus on that first part. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off. While he was still a long way off. I'm going to, I'm going to show you the literal translation of this in a second. But what you have to understand, in the ancient language, in Greek and Hebrew, one of the things that they would do is, in order to provide emphasis, they would use repetition. So, so, so they, don't really, they didn't really write and talk the way we do, but if they wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat the concept, okay? So keep that in mind. The literal translation of that phrase, while he was still a long way off, is this. While he was still far, being distant. So when the younger son was still far, being distant. There's a repetition there. Still far and distant, they're the same thing. But the reason why the the the, the writers, or the reason why Jesus said this in this way was to emphasize how far he was. And the, the King James Version says he was a great distance. So I want you to get the scenario. The son is really, really, really far. And then it says when he was at this distance, the father saw, go back to this verse, the father saw him Let's think about this, why this is a significant detail. You don't see something far off if you are not looking for something that is far off. You hear me? Right, like the, 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 when I imagine the scenario, what the father saw at the hill as he entered, came towards his, his, his home and his, his area was a tiny speck, was a tiny tiny, tiny speck that you could not see out the corner of your eye. The only way for you to see the speck that is the sun is to be moving towards that, to be looking, your body, face, eyes, looking in that direction. That is the only way you can see the tiny speck that is your sun. This means that the father wasn't just going about his business and then just noticed his son. He was still a far way off when he saw him. This indicates that he was looking for him. And, and, and there's no indication that this was a coincidence, right? Like the father was just doing his stuff and then he's like, hmm, what is that? I wonder who is that? Is that the mailman? Is mail coming? Is that an Amazon package? I've been waiting for that. No, what this indicates is that this was probably the father's daily practice. See, the father, this is so beautiful, he didn't just move on with his life. He wasn't just like, oh, too bad my son is gone. That's a bummer. I really liked him. Oh, well, I got to go work the fields now. He didn't just move on with his life and move on with his business. It's the indication that he was looking in the direction where his son could possibly come. And he didn't just happen to see him. This is what he was doing every day, looking down that road to see and hope that maybe today would be that day. This is what the father was doing, looking in that direction, still a far way off. He saw him. Right? This is so, 
so key for us to remember, especially if you're at a place in your life where you feel distant from God. You know, for whatever reason. Maybe you've never even had a relationship with God. Maybe this is your, like, your first time in church. Or maybe you're in a season of life where you used to be really faithful, really committed, but something is just not working right now. Maybe a big, big change happened in your life and you don't sense his presence. You don't really sense the, the relevance and the, the meaning of church and God and the Bible. And you're just kind of like, God, you're just at a distance you haven't really connected with him. You haven't read the Bible in a long time. Maybe you come to church, but it's like, it's just a practice. I want you to know if you're in that place, God is looking towards you and he's looking for you and hoping that you will come. God has not moved on with his life and he's just got about going about the business of running the universe. Every day, he's looking. Every day, he's hoping, is this the day that they're gonna take a step towards me? He's moved towards you. He's looking for you. And even the older brother, if you think about the story, as, as this whole thing happens, the younger brother comes and they have their conversation, the party gets started, the father notices that the older brother is not in the party. And this is what it says in verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So what did the father do? His father came out and begged him. Right, there's no, there's no intermediary. He doesn't send a servant. He could have. He could have sent a servant to say, go bring my son. And, and when the younger son came, he didn't hear from a servant. It wasn't someone that came and said, his father, your, your son is back. No, no, no. He was looking for him. And then when his older son is outside the house, not entering to the party, he goes out to him. And the word is begged. He begged him. See, what I want you to understand about the way of trust is that the way of trust is initiated and is started not with you, but with the Father. The Father is taking the steps first in order to build a relationship of trust between you and him. He has not left you to figure it out, to make a decision and come to him. No, no, no. He is looking in your direction. He is a longing for you. He's looking at you while you are still a far way off, just waiting and waiting to run to you. See, what we're realizing is that trust in our world today, if you break trust with someone, you are responsible for repairing that trust, right? If you did something to hurt somebody and you broke the trust, you have to earn their trust back. But as we look at this story, the son is the one who broke trust, isn't he? He's the one who rejected the father and ran away. But the father takes it upon himself to be the restorer of that trust. He's the one who takes a step first. You know, the, he, he's curating the scenario. He's cultivating the situation. He's developing the environment so that the son can return. And in your life today, in your life, as you think about taking a step towards God, I want you to know that he's been cultivating and creating this experience and this environment so that one day you might take a step towards him. Everything was him. Everything was him. That, that everything that, that, that he's done everything to prepare the way for you to take a step towards him. And what we gotta understand is before you even take a step towards him, he's taken a million towards you. See, this is so significant because so many of us think that in order for us to restore our relationship with God, we need to be better. 
We need to change and we need to be different. But the Father is the one who mercifully and graciously is initiating this relationship with you. It's not you. It's him. Meaning that spiritual change, true spiritual change that we all probably are longing for is not initiated by you. It's not your willpower and your strength. It's not your understanding. It's not your epiphanies that is going to create a relationship, that's going to create the change in your life. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father who has moved towards you already that is going to initiate any kind of change in your life. You cannot force it. You cannot mm, your way through it. You cannot use your willpower to change yourself. We can't. And we don't have to is the good news. Because the Father has, has, has moved towards you, has initiated that relationship first. He is the author of spiritual change in your life. We need only surrender. We need to only say to him, take it, have it, do your thing, God. He is the only one that can change us. And he is the one who has promised to send his Holy Spirit to do that exact thing. So I just want you to know, that this is what the Father is like. You know, we think that so many times that in order for us to come back to God, we have to change our behavior. I have to stop doing that. Oh, God, I did it again. I'll stop doing that, and then I can come to you. I'll stop going there. I'll stop saying that. I'll stop thinking that. I'll stop looking at that. Then I can come back to you, and we can be good, right? But God says, no, that's not how it works. You have no power in and of yourself to change. I want you to come as you are. I'm looking for you. Every day I'm looking and longing. I'm working on you. I'm working to bring you back home. It has nothing to do with your power or ability it has to do with just surrender and just know that this is how I am. See, Christianity, I want you guys to understand this. Christianity, our faith that we believe in, that the thing that brings us here is not about behavior modification. I know that, right? I think we often think, and maybe we know that in our minds, but in our hearts we don't really see that. Christianity, the faith that is centered on Jesus Christ, is not about behavior modification. It is about a central person. It is about our Savior. It is about our Father who gave himself up for us so that we would be in a restored relationship with him. And from then, behavior, change, obedience comes out of that. Not in order for that restored relationship to happen. It's not about behavior modification, but so many of us make it about behavior modification. But this is what the Father is like. This is the Father who is calling you into a life of trust. He is one who's taking the steps before you. He is one who's creating the environment for you to be able to come back home. In the New Testament, there's a guy named Saul who becomes Paul, and he is one of the most significant figures of Christian history. He wrote more than half of the, he wrote most of the New Testament. And he was in a situation where he was changed by God. He was, he was, God revealed himself to him and he was changed and he was transformed. He wasn't looking for it. He didn't have willpower. He wasn't trying to be different. But God in his grace and his mercy stepped towards him and revealed himself to change his heart and mind. And this is what he says about that, about that experience in his writing in the book of Romans. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It is God's 
kindness that is intended to turn you from your sin. Not your decision. Not your willpower. Not your understanding. It is his kindness that inspires us to change. Not his judgment. Although that's important. But it is his kindness that is the inspiration for us to take those steps back home towards him. This is what the Father is like. This is who we are walking towards in the way of trust. The second question we have to ask, because that sounds all wonderful, but the question is, what do we have to do? What is our responsibility? And, and we do have a role. Yes, God has, has taken steps forward. He has created the way. He has opened up the path. He is looking for you, longing for you, all that. But we also have a role in this. Now, well, let's look at the younger brother. When the younger brother is out in the, in the land, distant land, living his life, wasting his money, wasting his life, doing all that stuff, he comes to the realization. And I want you to pay attention to his plan. What is the younger son's plan to get back? And I want you to think about what is the heart and the mind and the message behind the plan. This is his plan in Luke chapter 15. He says, okay, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This is his plan. His plan is to go back home and confess to his father, say sorry, apologize, but then his plan was that last part. Please take me on as a, and this is an important detail, a hired servant. He doesn't say take me on as a servant, because actually in that time, a hired servant was different than a regular servant. So in the household of the father, there would be the father and the family and the sons where he used to be. Then there would be servants, and then there would be hired servants. These are all different groups of people. The difference between the servants and the hired servants is that the servants lived on the land. They had their own place. They lived on the land, and they worked there, and they worked for the father, but they also kind of lived with the father. And they received the things that, you know, the food and all that stuff, and they would, they would be there. They would dwell in that place with them. The hired servants are kind of like what many of you are, employees. Hired servants did not live on the land. They weren't allowed to live there. They lived in other villages around, and they would every day commute to work. And so they would, they would not reap the benefits of living in the house or with the family. They would live apart from it, and then every day they would wake up, and they would walk over. They would commute to work, work the fields, do whatever. When they, got it, when they, when they were done, they would get paid, and they would walk, and they would go home. The hired servant was the most relationally distant member of that household. The family obviously is the closest, the servant's second, and the hired servants were the most distant from the father. So he's like, hey, I don't need to be your son again. I know it's too much to ask to put me back in the house. I don't need that. I, I, I know it's too much to even be a servant, to live on the land and, and, and have, a, have a dwelling place on the land. I don't have to live in the servant's house and eat your food, and all that stuff. Just put me at the far back. I get it. I deserve this. Put me at the far back. Make me a hired servant. Like, I'm not even really part of the household. I just, like, I just need to be connected to this house once again. Now, remember the son's first request? Where he says, Dad, give me all the inheritance. Give me all the stuff. I don't need you. I'm going to go do my own thing. Remember that, that message? We said the message behind that request was, I don't want you, I want your stuff. 
That's the old message. All right? I don't want you, Father. I just want all the money. I just want all the possessions. I just want all the belongings. And let me get out of here. I don't need to live with you. I don't need to see your face anymore. I don't like you. I don't want this. I'm going to just take all the stuff. I don't want you. I want your stuff. But now, as we, as we come to this moment, what's the message behind his request and his plan? I'll be your hired servant. I don't need to live in the home. I don't need to live on the land. I just need to be connected to this family in some way. The new message is completely different. The message is, I don't need your stuff. I just need you. He's changed. And that's what, that's what happened when you're in desperate times, right? But this is the message of his of his new request. I don't need your stuff. I don't need to live in the house. I don't need to live in the land. I don't need your food. Like, I just need this job. I just need to be connected to you. I just need to be under you. I just need to be under your authority, your rule. I just need to be under your influence. I just, like, I just need to be as closely, as far, I just need to be connected to you. It doesn't have to be close. I, I just want to, I can be as far as possible, but I just need to, I just need to be connected to you in some way. I don't need anything else. I just, I just need that. I just need to be one of your guys, you know? I just, like, I just need to be under your umbrella. Right? He, he's realizing this, and this is so important for us because this is our role in this. The realization that the younger son has is the realization that we all need to have in order for us to walk in the way of trust. Because the realization that the, that the son has is it's not about the stuff. That, that I don't need the stuff, I don't need the blessings, I don't need the circumstances, I don't need the situations, I just need to be under you. I just need to be connected to you. I don't need to live in your house, but just like, just let me be. Let me be connected, let me be under your umbrella, let me be under your authority. And to use the words of Jesus, this is what he means when he says the kingdom of God. He's like, I don't need the blessings that you have, I just want to live in the kingdom of God. That's what this is about. And this is the realization that we, as, as, as the sons and the daughters, who maybe are prodigal or not, this is the message, this is the understanding that we need to have, that it's not about the stuff, but that I understand that life in the kingdom of God, according to your rules in your way, is far better than the world the world has offered. That, that life in your, under your umbrella, life as one of your guys, is the way that I want to live. You know, we have to make that decision and have that understanding that I don't need your stuff, Father. I just need you. As you think about your relationship with God, this is a really tough question to ask. Would we believe? Would we dedicate ourselves? Would we follow if we didn't have the stuff anymore? If, if all Jesus did for you was die on the cross 2,000 years ago, would that be enough for you to follow him? Or do you need the stuff? Do you need the promises? Do you need the, the blessings, the traveling mercies, the parking blessings, whatever you want to call it? Do you need all that? Or is what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, is that enough? That's a question we must all deal with, to get to the point where we say, I don't need your stuff, I just need you. The more it's about the stuff, the less you will trust God. Let me say that. The more your relationship with God is about the stuff, the less you will be able to actually trust in him. 
I, I might even go so far as to say you cannot trust in him truly if it's about the stuff. But in order to enter into the way of trust, like the son, we must come to a place where we understand that it's not about that. We just need to live life. We just need to be under the kingdom of God. See, for the brother, though, this is easy because he saw it. He experienced it. And he realized, hey, what my father has, and this was his own word. Those were his words. Look at my father's life. Look at the workers who are under my father's umbrella. Look at their lives And it's completely different from my life separate from that. He's experienced both and he's come to the conclusion that the way of life outside the way of the Father is not worth living. I want to go back to that. I thought this was so special and so wonderful, but I want to get away from that and I want to go back. I want to live back under the umbrella of my Father. And he experienced that. And this is what he saw. He realized that the vision of a good life that the world offers and the world promises is empty. He realized that the the vision and the understanding of what makes a good life a good life under the Father was true and real and better. When he was in that distant land, it's described this way, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 14. This is kind of the trouble, this is what he went through. He says, about the time his money ran out, A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. When he was out, away from his father, as he rejected the rule and reign and sovereignty and authority of his father, he entered into a whole new world. And in that place, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And this is what we need to understand about life separate from the way of the Father. This is what we have to understand. It's not necessarily that the world is so essentially evil and immoral and people who are outside of that are evil and immoral. It's not about that. But these three elements of the world outside of his Father's home are so, so real. Because it says at first that his money ran out. What we have to understand is the promise that the world offers a different life apart from God It has no power to make those true. He has no power to fulfill those promises because his money ran out. Everything that you can experience apart from God is temporary, just like his money. That one day you might have everything, but it can all be taken away from you. And he realized that firsthand. He went out thinking, I have a treasure. I have riches that will last me my whole life. But his money ran out. All the blessings, all the pleasures of that world are temporary. And one day they'll disappear. And you won't have that anymore. And he realized that. And then a great famine swept over the land. You know, there's no promise, and I gotta gotta say this, there's no promise that if you live life in the kingdom of God that no bad thing is ever gonna happen to you. God never makes that promise to you. He never promises a pain-free and problem-free life. He does not. And so you may go, you you may experience a famine in the land in the kingdom of God, or you can experience a famine in the land outside the kingdom of God. But there is a huge difference. When this young man went out into the world and he experienced that great famine, he experienced that great famine alone, by himself. He had no support. He had no one with him. He had no one by his side. All his friends were temporary. As, As soon as he ran out of his money, they left him, and he was all alone. And so, yeah, 
as Christians, as followers of Jesus, yeah, you'll have problems, you'll have pain in your life, but the promise and difference is, is that you don't have to go through any of that alone. You have someone that is bigger and greater than you who will walk by you and walk by your side through all of that. And through that, we, can have, we have promises of peace, we have promises of hope, and we can rejoice even through suffering because of the one who is with us and walks with us through those pains. But this younger brother, as a great famine swept over the land, he struggled through that pain all alone. He had no one to trust in. He had no one to hope in, and he had no reason to rejoice. And at the end, he began to starve. And what a better way to describe a life in that situation that it will simply just leave you empty and hungry. And so this younger brother goes through this experience, and he realizes, I just want to go back. I don't need the stuff anymore. Now, you may argue that, wait a minute, the younger brother still wants the stuff because what he's asking for is a job, right? He wants a job. He has no job. He's like so hungry. He just wants to go back so he can get a job, so he can get paid by who? The father. He still wants the stuff. But Tim Keller argues and writes that as, as, the, as the son created his plan, what he was saying was that the son was going to come back to be a hired servant to get paid in order to pay the father back. He's like, he didn't want a job so he can get money and save up money and then go do it again. He wasn't trying to get enough money so he can live his life. No, he wanted to go back, be a hired servant so that he could get paid, so that he could give it back to the father, so he could pay his way back into the home. So he wasn't trying to get the stuff. He was trying to get back in with his father. He's changed. He's different. It's not about the stuff anymore. But he's trying to do it in the wrong way. He wants to earn and pay his way back. Because he owed the father his inheritance. All that money, he wanted to give it back to his father. The truth is, though, he never would have been able to do it. But he's like, I have to try. I have to pay him back. I have to do it. I have to make it work. And so he goes back to his father with this realization, I don't need the stuff, I just need the father. So I'm gonna pay him back. And when he comes to the father and he rehearses his speech, the father says, no, no, you cannot be my hired servant. You are my son. You are my son. You are not a hired servant. I will bring you back home. You belong in my home with me by my side. I will not allow you to try to pay me back. You cannot pay me back. I'm inviting you into my home to restore you once again to who you are supposed to be, my son. And I'll give you my ring and I'll put sandals on your feet and I'll put a robe around you and I will bring you back. That is what happens when someone humble of heart understands that it's not about the stuff, but it's about the father who has made mistakes, comes back to him. This is what happens when that kind of a person comes face to face with a merciful and gracious God who takes the first step, who is the initiator of it all. In that moment, what we see is what happens to that kind of a person when they meet that kind of a God. And that is what we see. That is what you will experience when you come to the Lord in the same way, when you come to your father in the same way, when you meet that gracious and merciful God, you will have that same exact experience and he will say, no, 
You cannot earn your way back, just come inside. You cannot earn your way back, you cannot pay me back. I wanna grab your hand, I'm gonna take you home, and we are gonna celebrate. That is what you can put your trust in. That is, who the fa- that is what the Father is like. And that is what we need to do, come to awareness that we just need to be in the kingdom of God. Not because of the blessings and the stuff, but because of the king. And that leads us to possibly the most important spiritual question you have to answer in your life. And I don't want to be like dramatic here, but I would argue that this is maybe the most important spirit. And it's not a complicated question, but it is the question that starts it all. And you have to be able to answer this question. Here's a question. Do I need God? Do you need God? Do you sense that you actually need God? You see, the younger brother, this was easy. He's like, yeah, I totally need God. I totally need the Father. Look at my life without the Father. I need to go back. The problem is, is that most of us are like the older brother. And the older brother He couldn't answer this question. The younger brother is the one who comes back home and enters into the home and enters into the party. But the older brother, he's angry. He's mad. He's like, I don't like this. I don't like this grace. I don't like this mercy. Look at me. I've been doing the things. This, the, the older brother, he's fed. He has food. He has a job. He has savings. He has retirement. But if you look at the older brother's life and his words, you can clearly see that something is missing and something is wrong with him. Something is, so he, he needs something. But the unsettling thing at the end of this story is that who is the brother? Which brother enters into the celebration? It's the younger brother. And what's happening with this older brother that so many of us can probably relate to? This older brother who doesn't sense that he needs the father anymore. He has the stuff. I don't need the father. The scary thing is at the end of the story, the question that is on the minds of the listeners and the readers, is the other brother going to go into the party? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. And I think he did it on purpose. Because in that moment, in that powerful moment, as we listen to this story, as we read this story, as we understand that we are like the older brother, we don't really sense our need for him. In that moment when we look at the older brother standing there, looking at the party, waiting to make a decision, Jesus ends it. Turning the attention to ourselves. Forcing us to ask the question of ourselves, will I enter the party? Will I enter the feast? Do I understand that I need God, even though I have money, even though I have church attendance, even though I have family, even though I have everything I thought I needed to be happy, do I still see my need for God? At one point, you're going to have to answer this question. And maybe, and maybe it's not about the stuff. Actually, I'm pretty sure many of you, you don't need God for the stuff. Most of you are going to be fine, and that's the problem, because we've built a life, and we've worked so hard for a life where we don't need God. And so what we have to do is we have to dig deeper. We have to dig deeper, and we have to look beyond in order to see and sense and feel that we actually need God 
in our lives. Because if we don't, if our honest, honest answer to this question is no, if your honest question, answer to this question is I don't actually feel like I need God, I definitely don't live like I need God, then you will never have that moment. You will never have an opportunity to take a step forward towards that celebration. You'll never be able to have that moment to look face to face with your merciful and gracious Father as he brings you home. And you will be standing outside You'll be separated. You'll be distant. So I think we need to come to a point where we understand this question. We need to come to a point where we can honestly say this question, yeah, I have the stuff already. I have the job. I have the family. I have the life. I have the cars. I have the vacations. I got all that. But I definitely see deep down inside there is something in me that is missing. I need my father. I need him. I need to live life in the kingdom of God for whatever reason. Maybe it's desperation. Maybe it's something else. But I hope that as you come face to face with this question, that you may understand how much the Father loves you, how much the Father is willing to move towards you, and how much the Father has promised for you. And I hope that as you ask this question in your life, you can say, yes, I need him. And it may not be for stuff, but it may be for something deeper. It may be something for something bigger. And actually next week, we're going to talk a little bit about that. What are two things that God gives us, that the Father gives us in the story of the prodigal son that no one else can give us? And as we conclude this message, as we look towards next week, I'm excited as we conclude the series because I'm going to share the two things that we're going to share, talk about next week, that God provides that we may be missing in our lives. Those for me are the two things that I value the most. That I would almost argue that these are maybe the reasons that what, this is what keeps me going in faith. And these are what I appreciate the most about what God has given me. And it's not heaven. It's not eternal life. It's something completely different. And it has changed me because of that. So as we close... And if you think about this question, do you need God? I want you to wrestle with that this week. Do you live life like you need God? Do you understand that you need God? Or do you feel like I'm good? That's only a question that you can answer. And Jesus has posed and shared this story to force you to answer that question. Do you need him enough to step forward into that home, into that celebration, into that feast? Now, I'm not asking you necessarily to make that decision today because next week I want to show you two things that he can provide for you that I think can change everything for you. And you will sense, I'm hoping and praying that next week as we leave this place next week, you'll be able to say, yes, I need that. Yes, I don't have that and I need that. I've been looking for that and now I'm realizing that it is only God, my Father, that will give me that. So I hope next week, join us as we conclude our series for part four of Prodigal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, so many of us are living life in such a way where we like, we need the stuff, God. But I hope today that we would realize, God, that we need you more than we need all the stuff. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who has gone before us 
You are a God who has stepped forward. You are a God who has initiated with your mercy and your grace and your love. And Father, you look for us every single day. Lord, I don't know what needs to happen in order for us, for us to take a step towards you. But in, in, in whatever way possible, I pray that you would help us to have the realization that the younger son has. That we don't need the stuff. That we just need to be connected to you. And I know, God, how you respond to those who are humble and repentant. So, Lord, I pray that as we struggle and wrestle with that question of whether or not we need you, Lord, help us to open our eyes to see that we truly do, that deep down we truly, truly do, Lord. Thank you, God, for challenging us and leading us today. In your name we pray. Amen.